This morning, as we said, we are in this uh, everyday Christianity, and it's going to be kind of a hodgepodge of different um, messages as we kind of walk through what does it mean to live Christ every day? What does it mean to actually have him part of my life and, and live my life of Christ-likeness every single day? And so last week we kicked off the series and we started by saying that we live in this everyday life in a culture that is always going to be foreign to Christ. It's, it's not going to match a lot of maybe our beliefs and what we, what we think is true. And so we were reminded um, from the words of the Apostle Paul last week in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we said we want to not be conformed, but we want to actually think and change and be different, but not just change and be different in our actions, but to be different in our thinking by the renewal of our minds. And then we heard Jesus say this in John 17, 14 to 15, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And these type of verses pointed us to the reality that as we live everyday Christianity, we'll review this, but we talked about last week is that in, in everyday Christianity, you, you can run in one of two camps. You can run in the camp of everything is, uh, I've got to be avoiding all sin at all costs, and I can't be anything part of the world, and I live in this little legalistic kind of uh, avoidance bubble, and, and I don't really deal with anything that has to do with the world. I just kind of keep myself surrounded in my Christian bubble. And then you can run to the other extreme, and the other extreme says, says, everything is freedom, everything is good, and I can sin and do whatever I want to do because ultimately God's going to forgive me in the end, and I can make whatever choice I want to make. And, and we want to kind of draw us back to the middle. And we said last week that not only are those extremes possible, but we said that our thinking is ultimately what needs to change. Not just do I live here by my actions, live here by my actions, but is my thinking correct? We said last week a quote by Andy Stanley, and he said this, if you think the way you used to think... You will do the things you used to do. And I think that's so true for all of us. Like we, we think of our actions, I'm going to move this down for a little bit, and we can think of like all the things that um, we want to change in our life and we want to get better, but ultimately, if we don't change the way we process, we're always going to be making the same mistakes. And for a lot of you, you may live that every single day of your life. You're kind of like, yeah, why can't I not just get rid of this issue in my life? And I would challenge you and say, have you changed your thinking at all? Have you looked at it through the lens of Scripture? We're going to talk about today. And we said last week we need a transformed view of who, not just what. And we need a transformed thinking and not just behaviors. My fear is if we don't change our thinking and we just focus on our actions, it's going to be the equivalent of trying to cure cancer with baby aspirin. It's not going to do the trick. It's not going to be enough. And so this week we're going to talk about specifically how do we do that. Um, last week, we also, just to kind of catch up, we said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we are part of this battle, right? That uh, we battle the spiritual forces and not just the physical. And so he says that uh, in, in Paul's writing here to the church, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we said that as we move in this direction of taking on our thinking and hopefully changing our actions, that we are destroying strongholds, we're taking captives, and we're punishing resistance. Because here's the truth of the matter. I don't know if you know it or not, but we live 
in a new city. And that sounds kind of weird. You're like, what do you mean new city? So as we have accepted Christ, you are a new person. And think of it as the image of as a new person, you've been captured by Christ and he's put you into his city where he is king and he is ruling in that city. And as part of being in that city, he desires that we would punish any resistance that, that would come against the king and his glory and his reign. And, and so we, we think of that in our own day and we think our own lives and we say, yeah, that's what it means to put sin to death. It means that I don't come against the new ruler of this king because we are truly citizens of a new city and we're under a new rule. And, and we have this nature in us that's trying to wage war against the king who is sitting on his throne. And how do we do all that? in a way that makes sense? How do we do all that in a way that is practical? And then last but not least, and this is again recap, but finally I said challenge you to think of one thing that you desire to be changed. One thought pattern, one behavior. It could be, you know, last week, I don't know what came to mind, but for you it could be control. Uh, It could be fear. Uh, It could be cynicism. Um, Maybe that's just you. You're kind of just cynical by nature. Uh, It could be inferiority. You, you just never feel like you measure up to anybody, and so you run everything through that filter of inferiority. Um, you, you, you may receive a, a text or a phone call from somebody, and you automatically read into it something that's not there because of your thinking and your patterns, right? Oh, they must be mad at me, or oh, they must be this because of this, and there's no truth behind it, but you think it. So it could be cynicism, it could be inferiority, it could be anger, it could be jealousy, And I don't know what that is for you, that kind of is that reoccurring thing, but this morning I want to get a little more practical and uh, and show us how do we actually do that. So last week we kind of defined it, this week we're going to talk about the how. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 primarily, but I also want to go a little further this morning and actually go into 12 and 13. And 14. So anywhere in that chapter 3, if you can get your Bibles, it would be fantastic. Colossians chapter 3. And before we do, I'm just going to pray um, that God would give us some clarity this morning. There's a lot to cover, but I want it to be clear. Uh, and so I'm going to pray for that this morning as we, as we start. So God, I thank you this morning that we have an opportunity to sit under your word, um, that we have an opportunity to hear from you directly. Um, God, I pray that as these things are Um, taught this morning, that ultimately the Holy Spirit be working. Uh, Father, if there's things that need to be said, uh, that they would be said. If there's things that don't need to be, that they would not be. But ultimately, uh, Father, we pray that you would be in control of this morning, that you would be the one speaking, um, and that we would um, do the best we could to respond and listen to um, how you're directing us through the power of your word. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity this morning. Amen. So let me just ask a question to start us off, and you don't need your Bibles for this. Um, you can just think, and so you don't need to turn to your neighbor, you don't need to poke your wife or your spouse, and you know, that's you, okay, don't do that. Um, but this morning, uh, I just want to ask a question, and that is this, how do you typically change a sinful behavior? How do you typically change a sinful behavior? 
If you're like most, you're kind of like, uh, I don't. That's my problem. I just continue to do the same thing over and over again, and I can't get rid of it. That's, that's my answer. Some of you are kind of maybe tried some different things, but if you're like most, you probably start by seeing the damage that the sin is doing, um, or we're told of the damage that the sin is doing, because maybe we're blind to it. Uh, and so somebody comes alongside of you in love and says, hey, brother, you're being an idiot. And you're like, what are you talking about? I, I'm totally nailing it this week. And you're like, nah, not really. Uh, and maybe something get expo- gets exposed for the first time, and maybe that's part of the process of how you change a sinful behavior. And then... Um, we, we, we probably blame somebody or myself or the other person or our upbringing, and so we hear of a sin in our life, we don't like it, and we want to change it, and so the first thing we typically do is figure out where does it come from, and so we'll play the blame game, and we'll say, well, it's your fault, it's my fault. Um, you don't have to show of hands, but um, again, don't raise your hands because it'd be embarrassing for all of us, but um, um, how many of you guys just typically, like, when you think of the blame game, like, you are number one category on that list. Like, you are just, whenever the blame comes in, it doesn't even matter if it was your fault. Like, at work, it's not even your department. It's not even your area. Like, somebody's wrong with sales, and you're over, like, in maybe custodial or something, and they're like, this problem arose in the company. You're like, it's probably my fault, and you're like, how? You're like, I don't know, but it probably is, and you start freaking out. If that's you, um, I understand. I get that. Um, others of you, maybe it's not you. It's, it's the other person, and so you're quick to blame the other person, right? And these are the kind of people you have a dialogue with, and within five seconds, they've avoided every ounce of accountability, and they've blamed three other people along the way, and you're probably one of them. Uh, and so that's, that may be part of our, our thing. Uh, it could be a mix of both. But, but no matter what, we, we typically like to blame somebody in our changing. And eventually then we want to fix it. We see the problem. We want to address it. We then try to fix it with whatever tools we have to fix it, even if, not, even if they're the wrong ones for the job we still try and fix the problem. So here's how it normally works. We, we remember a memory verse growing up from Bible school, right? And so we try and throw that at it, you know? Well, God said somewhere, I think, that, um, that he doesn't like that. So that's probably bad. And so I'm going to probably want to change that. And that's a good start. That's fantastic. But then what we sometimes do is we kind of remember some bits and pieces of church, but then we don't fully remember all of it. And so we kind of throw in our own logic on top of the verse. Have you ever done that before? Where you're kind of like, well, it's not that bad. I mean, I I think the Bible says a lot about grace. So it's not really as bad as it seems because I can throw grace at it and somehow we'll work through it. Um, we may throw a verse at it. We may throw a belief that we think might be related to God himself. We may throw a discipline that you've heard from church or uh, a parent or a retreat at it, right? Uh, if it's arguing with your spouse, you may remember a marriage retreat you went to and they said something about how you're supposed to use a different language with your spouse and be kind. And, and so you try to do that. Or maybe you've been on a men's retreat and they're like, it's about accountability and it's about saying no and getting a partner. And so I'm going to get a partner. I'm going to... Whatever it is, right? We, we're all there. We, we've tried to change some things in our past. Um, but ultimately, uh, we can possibly do the wrong things out of the right motives. Let me say that again. So sometimes we can, do the right, we can do the wrong things out of right motives. And we can apply a verse in the Bible that condemns the sinful behavior, but then we, we, we don't really know what to do after we've addressed it. Um, and so ultimately, I think what we all end up doing when we want to address this area of changing a sinful behavior, I think at the end of the day, what we always come back to is, God, help me not do that again, right? 
That's typically our normal end of the prayer response. God, please help me not to do that again. And to our spouses or our fans or our family or our friends, hey, guys, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Um, reality is, though, if you've been tracking with your life for the last couple years, I've been tracking with mine for the last 42, uh, typically I end up doing it again. Um, I end up doing that thing that I swore I'd never do again. I end up getting upset or I end up doing the thing that I didn't want to do. And I end up a lot like Paul in Romans chapter 7 where I do the things I don't want to do. Anybody with me? And those are the kind of pieces of our life that we figure out how do we change these behaviors. That even though we throw a heap of guilt on it, it doesn't do a thing. That even when we feel we should be punished by God himself, it doesn't do a thing. And we still struggle with this thing. And so we try and do better but eventually come to believe this ultimate lie, and here's the lie that I want to expose this morning, and that is this, that I will always deal with this. This will always drag me down. This will always be my Achilles heel. This will always be my thing. Can I just say, um, that is a really defeating mindset, and not only that, but it's one that I think Scripture would come against pretty strongly and say, yeah, you may struggle with that, but ultimately, there could be freedom in that. Um, And I think God this morning wants us to do that. And so I don't know that in trying to change, we ever pause long enough to ask a different question. Like we've we've talked about how do I change, right? We've said, how do I change this typical behavior? But let me throw another question at you this morning. And that question is this. And I don't think you ever pause long enough. I don't pause long enough to ask this question. But I want you to think of that thing, whether it's control or cynicism or lust or fear or anger or jealousy or whatever that thing that always trips you up. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask this question instead. Why? Not how, but why why do I want to change? And it's a weird question, right? Because you can throw a lot of easy answers at it. Because it's wrong. Because it's sinful. Correct. Because I shouldn't do it. Correct. But, But let me just kind of throw a couple things out there as far as why I don't want to change. Let me throw a couple out to you that kind of come to mind as far as for me, why I don't always want to change the behaviors that I know I should. Number one, um, I haven't reached the threshold of pain yet. Anyone been there? Like, I ha- it hasn't cost me something yet, right? I can still get away with it, and it hasn't done damage to a relationship, to a friendship, to an area of my life. My finances are still intact. I haven't gone bankrupt, right? So the threshold of pain, I can still handle the pain by doing the sin, so I'm still going to do the sin. Make sense? And we're we're there. Um, Sometimes it's, I don't want to change because um, you want something from someone else, uh, if I change my behavior, even if it's sinful, I won't get the acclimates, that I, the accolations, the, the, all the admiration that I get from the other person. So I, I, I want to just, you know, change so that I get the approval of somebody else. Um, some of us may, the why I don't want to change is just by nature. You're, you're naturally submissive, right? You, you just naturally go with the flow. And so for you, the why do you change is just kind of like, well, somebody told me to, so I'm just going to change and that's part of the deal. Another one of why do I change is um, you desire to change to impress people. Um, I think we can often do that in church world. Uh, we want to change so that others' opinion of us matter and not because it's the right thing to do. And the last one is why do I want to change is be possibly because your guilt alone has pushed you to change. And, and guilt is, is not a bad thing. I'm not here to tell you that God, God does not use, you know, this idea of repentance and things like that and guilt. But I think if it's just guilt alone... It doesn't result in long-term change. 
And so as we talk about why do I want to change, it's an important question. And it's kind of this, maybe a counseling kind of question, right? And we're kind of like, well, just tell me what I need to do. I don't have time to sit into counseling. I don't want to find my feelings. I don't even think I have feelings. If they are, they're buried so deep down that I don't want to bring them back up because nobody wants to be that dude at the party, right? I just love everything about this party, right? It's a barbecue. Chill out, right? It's, it's, it's not that kind of an emotional thing. But oftentimes, we don't ask the right question. The right question is, why do you want to change? Why do you want to get rid of that sin? And you're going to take some time to process that. That's not an easy question to answer. But let me give you one answer that I think might be helpful this morning, and then we're going to get practical into the actual how. I think that if we were to really say, why does God desire for me to change? Why does he want this sin out of my life? I think, number one, it's his holiness. You can't get around that. That he cannot be around it, and he desires that it be gone from your life. That's huge. But secondly, I think it's this. It's because God desires a vibrant relationship with me, and my sin is in the way of experiencing more of God. Let me say that again. I think ultimately the why behind my change should be that God desires a vibrant relationship with me, and my sin is in the way of experiencing more of God. Do you ever think of that the sin in your life is not just an issue and a problem for those relationally around you? It's a relational problem for the God of the universe that you have a relationship with. You see, I think we've made God so transactional that we forget the relational. That we, we, we transaction it of saying, I've done X amount of sins, I'll do X amount of punishment, we'll be fine, the, the, the docket will be clear, my, my numbers will add up, I've done this many, I've repented this many, we're good, God, we've cleaned the docket. If you ran relationships like that, You'd be, I don't know what you'd be. You'd be Sheldon. Like, I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd be from like Big Bang Theory. You'd, you'd be that kind of like no relational qualities whatsoever, but everything's just a, a matter of facts and basis. And, and everybody's wondering like why Sheldon's so weird in that series. And everybody's wondering what's wrong with the guy. It's because he has no relational abilities, right? And if we were to run our lives like that, we'd be the same weirdos, right? But God says, I want a relationship with you not just transactions with you. And so I think the problem with sin and the why I should want to change is because God desires a vibrant relationship with me and my sin is in the way of experiencing more of God. And at the end of the day, I want more of a relationship. I don't want just more stuff to do in a relationship with God. I want a relationship with God. I want a vibrant one that people look at my life and say, man, something's different about that guy, and it's because he really loves the God that he serves. Jesus knew this. Jesus said we can't fix the problem with contracts and agreements. Jesus knew this in Matthew chapter 15. The Pharisees are all gathered around, and they're talking about washing their hands and why washing your hands is, is like second to salvation. And, uh, and Jesus is like, why are you guys so worried about washing your hands? He says, it's, it's this whole weird scenario where you can't make yourselves clean by doing these outward things, and they can't understand it, and the disciples can't understand it. Until eventually, he says, it's not what is outside your body that makes you unclean. It's what's inside you that makes you unclean. He says it's about the inside. It's about the relational peace in you. And so let me just kind of remind us this morning of who you are so that we can know what's inside can change the relational dynamic. So here's, here's the first thing, and how do I change my behavior 
how do I fix this sin in my life? Here's the thing I would say you do first. Number one, you remember who you are. Colossians chapter 3, we finally get there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Get this, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let that sit for just a second. Your old self is dead, buried, thrown off the cliff, falling to his doom. Your new life is what you're supposed to live in. But in all reality, what we end up doing is we forget who we are and we try and resurrect that old self and try and live in that. And God's like, it doesn't work, does it? No, it's hard. It's, it's brutal. It's a lot of do's and don'ts and it's really difficult. Right. That's why I told you to kill the thing. Throw it off the cliff. Bury it. Be done with it. The old self is dead and buried and gone, and in its place is a new life of Jesus Christ in you at this very moment. Whether you feel it or not does not matter this morning. The reality is you are new this morning. Let me say it like this. You are exactly who you're supposed to be, warts and all. Your process, you're in process, and God's got you on the program he's designed for you. Well, what about so-and-so? What, what, about, what about them? No, no. Noel Hyken in his book, Wretched Saint, says it like this. As a Christian, as a Christian, what you're called to do always flows from what Jesus has already done. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, you are called to do all that you're called to do flows not out of more discipline and not out of more things that I'm going to just guilt myself to do. All that Christ desires for you to do has already been done in Jesus. He's just waiting for you to find it. I, I liken it before to the bank account, right? Where you've got this huge bank account. I mean, millions of dollars. Nobody in this room, but millions of dollars, right? In a bank account. And it's just sitting there. And what we do as normal Christians is we go to the bank Number one, we forget our pin. That's what we always do. But then we, this is old school, I know. It's dated. And you're like, who does that anymore? I do. Okay, so you, you, you forget that. That's number one. But the second thing you do is you kind of draw out like 50 cents, which he won't let you do anyway, but just go with the equation, okay? You try to draw out 50 cents from your bank account because you're like, I think I've got enough to maybe work just this little 50 And then you feel bad about spending the 50 cents, Right? you got a bank account of millions of dollars and you're worried about 50 cents. When Christ says that you are new and live in him, he says, you got a brand new life. Tap into it. <laughs> Stop trying to do all this stuff on your own. Tap into the bank account for crying out loud. He's got everything you need. He's already done it. Everything you try to do in life, Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. He's just waiting for you to take the withdrawal. Well, I, don't, I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I'm just not that good of a person, and God's so much more beyond me. And therefore, I mean, if I try to do that, I mean, that makes me a horrible person. Shut up. No, you're not. I love you, but just stop. You're not. 
That's why he's got the bank account set up for crying out loud. That's why he's here. That's why he's desiring to be in a relationship with you. That's what he wants to fix in you. Stop buying the lie that you're bothering Jesus. Stop buying the lie that you're never going to get out of this. It starts with remembering who you are. You are died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If that's not enough, Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 to 27, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness. This is what happened when Jesus came into your life. Just listen to this. This is what happened to you. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." Did you notice that be careful to obey my rules came second to and cause you to walk in my statutes? Don't miss the progression of Scripture. Jesus says, I will cause you to do the right things. Oh, and by the way, just be careful to obey them as you do them. What? You mean, I mean, I'm not supposed to like kind of make it up on the fly and just do it? No, I've already in you. I've put a heart in you that is, that is flesh, that is relational. And all you have to do is what I've already done. Walk with me. Let me do this. So here's how it looks in practice. And I apologize for this. We've had some budget cuts and this is all we can afford. So um, you wanted a building. So, you know, this is what you get from now on. Post-it notes. I was going to go like this and then I was like, nah. So you're welcome. Who's in the very back? Andy, can you, you can't see this, can you, bro? All right, good. All right, so here we go. All right, so here we go. So this... This here is supposed to be a circle, okay? Now, this represents, if we're going to change, right? If we're going to change anything of our behaviors, anything of our patterns, we're going to get rid of sin, the first thing we need is truth and remembering who we are. And the first thing that you find truth in is not in what you, well, I'll get into that second. The, the thing you find truth in is the Word of God, okay? That is primary key number one. We talked about that in Corinthians. Take every thought captive and put it under the submission of Jesus Christ. Put everything into the Word. Find out what the Bible says. Go to the Bible and figure out what you're supposed to do. Everything runs through the filter of the Word of God. And part of that filter is remembering that you are there. Now, here's what I know about you and I know about me before we get into the actual practice. What we have and we're supposed to go to is the Word of God. But let me tell you what's in your circle and in my circle. You can't read this back there, so I'm going to say it. Feelings, right, that can cloud the Word of God. I just don't feel like serving God today. Amen. Been there, done that, right? I don't feel like like somebody appreciates me. Amen. Been there, done that. I don't feel like I should. I don't feel, and, and we, we, we kind of listen to our feelings. Let me give you a great quote in regards to your feelings. J.D. Greer, pastor now with Southern Baptist stuff, he says, your, his quote is this, your heart is an emotional idiot. And it is true. Jeremiah says it. The Bible says it. Your heart is an idiot. 
and to listen to your feelings all the time and just to go with what you feel, oh man, you're in trouble because they're going to lie to you 12 hours of the day and then tell you why you're stupid the rest of the 12. Your feelings are not the word of God. They can be instruments, but they are not. Here's the other thing in, in this circle that I know about you, I know about me, is our thinking, right? Some of you in this room, men included, we're like, I don't know what those are. <laughs> I don't have those. What are those? I've heard them. My wife has them sometimes, but I'm not sure what that looks like, okay? I'm brick. I'm stone. I'm logic. I think. Okay, great. You're a caveman. Fantastic. Good for you. You are, you are a heart of stone that nobody wants to be around. Great. That's fantastic. I can logic my way through this. You're not that smart. You're not. What? I thought this was a church and I don't feel very good right now. Oh, see, there's a feeling. Oh, see. If anyone wants to give the offering again today, this is why. Okay, um, right? I don't feel... I don't think that works. Logic tells me I should just be able to finish this discipline and be done. And then not only is feelings messing this up, but also your beliefs are messing this up. And not good beliefs, but wrong beliefs. Again, going back to your Sunday school language, and, and, and I think I heard this, and I think God said that, you know, when we, we, that, that all of the things that we love and admire will be waiting for us on the other side. I think God said that, you know, being godly is next to being clean or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible, right? And so we, we have false beliefs that mess up the Word of God. And so no matter where you're at, you have things that are kind of in the way of the Word of God. But ultimately, if we're going to change the sin patterns in our, in our life, we've got to get serious about getting back into the Word of God. You've got to go back and see what Scripture tells you about who you are and how to address this problem. Good? All right, so let me give you this. So that's, that's the basis. Everything runs through the Bible. Everything runs through the Word of God. That's first and foremost, number one. Now, Colossians chapter 3. Let's go into actually now how do we add to this diagram. And here's, here's how Colossians would do. Here's how Paul does it in the book of Colossians. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Verse 6 and 7 there. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. Put to death what is sinful is another way of saying it. And so the next thing we have is not only do we need to run everything through the, through the Word and through the Scriptures, but the first part of this process of changing our thinking is, number one, part of this process as you are in life is going to be a continual cycle of reinforcing I can't even spell. Repentance. You can't read that from there, but that's what it says. Reinforce repentance. In other words, 
Colossians just gave us a bunch of things that we often need to repent of. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. These are the things that on a regular basis we have to acknowledge are in us and say, I need to always be repenting of the things that cause a grievance and a break in relationship between me and God. These things listed in Colossians cause a break in this relationship. And so part of me every single day as I'm doing this, I'm reinforcing repentance. And I think for many of us, if you've grown up in church, you've heard that before. You get that. You're like, of course. Yeah, I do that all the time. I wake up, you know, in the middle of the night or I, I, I do a sin and I automatically feel guilty because I've sinned. And it's easy for me. I know repentance. That's easy for me. I, I go and I say, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And we end up unfortunately doing it again because it's just, you know, we haven't really reinforced it enough. And so that's part of this is how do you reinforce repentance? Well, I think one of the things you do in reinforcing repentance is not just saying I'm sorry, but also part of reinforcing repentance is that you actually say no to the right things. You put some boundaries in place so that repentance won't have to be there again. So let me give you an example. Let me just show you this. These are some case studies um, that, uh, that I found that may not be you, but I find them very, very practical for what we're talking about here. So saying no to sinful desires is part of this reinforcing repentance, okay? How do I get this change in my life? How do I get rid of the sin? It's saying no to sinful desires. So let me give you a couple of scenarios and see if you can relate to one of them. Jack struggled with lust. He realized that he had to stop undressing women with his eyes, watching movies that had these scenes in them, and watching late-night television on his own. When he did see these things, he made an effort to think about the goodness of God and walked away from whatever it was. He installed software on his computer and got a friend to keep him accountable. He put up some boundaries in regard to his lust. He said, I'm going to stop early before I get into the sin. Carla struggled with a desire to be loved. She threw out her her low-cut tops and short skirts, and she decided to stop flirting for fun. She stopped watching romantic films, reading romantic fiction, and daydreaming about romantic relationships. All those things she had to stop in order to continue to move in the direction of Christ. Colin always wanted to be in control, so at work he stopped monitoring tasks he delegated. At first, he worried about that they wouldn't get done, but he refused to let himself check up on people. He put, up, he put his electronic personal organizer in a, in a drawer and went back to a paper diary. At home, he threw away his list. He decided not to plan his Saturdays and actually take them as they came. And so for those of us who don't know anything about control, you're kind of like, that's weird. For those who know control, to give up a Saturday where it's not planned, you're kind of like, ooh, do you do that? Because my Saturday is like, do, 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 do recreation, fun, TV, fun, recreation, sleep. It's on a schedule. (laughs) Good night. I don't understand you people. Um, Emma found refuge in shopping. Not our Emma, but a Emma found refuge in shopping. She cut out window shopping and browsing online. She went shopping only when she needed something and always used a shopping list. She hit the TV mute button during commercials canceled her shopping catalogs, and stopped buying glossy magazines. That's crazy. That's cool. They turn off the the commercials because they know that's going to be a draw. Interesting. Um, Another one, I knew I had a tendency to be self-absorbed, so he stopped... He stopped keeping an eye on his blog because it encouraged him to think only of himself as the center of the world. He stopped having fantasies in which he was the hero and started volunteering in a local shelter for the homeless. 
Again, if you're self-absorbed, maybe social media is the worst place for you. If you are self-absorbed and have a tendency to narcissistic tendencies, please get off Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. We don't need you on there feeding your ego, okay? Just putting that out there. I love you enough to tell you that. Drinking was an issue for Kate. She felt it best to stop drinking any alcohol at all because it just, she knew this was her. She avoided bars and those friends who encouraged her to drink. If she did spend time with friends, she'd take a Christian with her and she'd let them know her boundaries right off the bat. Now, all these actions will not apply to you, but I'm telling you what did happen in all of them is they said, here's the sin drunkenness is the sin. I realize that I can't get there, so I'm putting boundaries up along the way to keep me from that thing. It may not make sense to you to not keep a detailed list of a Saturday agenda, but I'm telling you, I need it so I don't get controlling and I don't have these issues pop up in my life again and again and again. Part of reinforcing repentance is saying no to some things early so that you can have success on the other side. Saying no to immorality, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming Verse 7. And then the other part of this is found in the second part of this circle. So not only are we always reinforcing repentance, but we are also, at the same time, we are reinforcing... I'm just going to write it because you can't read it anyway. Reinforcing faith. Repentance and faith. Here is the part of the circle that I feel like most of us don't spend a lot of time doing. We spend a lot of time here because we know how to do that. But I don't know many of us that are doing a lot of things here and reinforcing our faith. Reinforcing faith is simply the matter of how do I use the Word of God in a practical way to get sin out of my life. Let me just read you Colossians. Chapter uh, 3, verse 8. But now you, so this is reinforcing faith, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. This is cool. Verse 10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11, here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That's awesome. It doesn't matter who you compare yourself to because Christ is all and in all. And then here's the reinforced faith part in verse 12. Put on then, reinforced faith. This is offense. This is doing something Even when you're not sinning, even on a good day, here's what you're doing. I am putting on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, I am putting on compassionate hearts, I am putting on kindness, I am putting on humility, I am putting on meekness, I am putting on patience, I am bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and lastly, and he's not done, and be thankful. You see, reinforcing faith is all these positive things. It's all these things that that spur a relationship. How many of us would want a relationship that has compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another when they have complaints, forgiving one another, putting on love, and being thankful for the person next to you? We'd all desire those. 
He says that's what this idea of reinforcing faith looks like. It's using the truth of Scripture to point us back to a relationship with God. Because in the end, as we said at the very beginning, we desire a vibrant relationship with the God of the universe, and my sin is in the way of experiencing more of that relationship. So the first thing we do is you can put some boundaries in to, to, to put those there, and I don't know what those are for you. But then the second part is we can reinforce faith. Let me give you another practical way just as we close out as far as how to reinforce faith. You can use a psalm such as 103. Uh, I did this with this one in Psalm 103. Uh, you, can, you can read the psalm, and then you can put the things next to it that are opposed to that psalm and therefore show you the trajectory of how to reinforce your faith. Let me give you an example. So Psalm 103 says this, Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. That's the psalm. I can look at that and I can put the opposite side of it and say, How awesome is my fear. Forget not all the prisons that it puts me in. Right? When you think about it that way, you're kind of like, Ooh, yeah, that's not what I want. How awesome is my money? Let me not forget all of its debts, right? When we put that in there, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, money's a prison, and it just keeps drawing me back. How awesome is the reputation I must keep and put and have with my spouse? How awesome is it that I have to just keep making them happy, forgetting not all the nagging, Right? We, 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 can, we can put these things in practical ways and say, you know what, it's not my wife that's the issue. It's not my, my job. It's not the money that's the issue. It's because I've forgotten that God is the issue. For praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins in verse 3. Not my money who keeps me angry and fearful and imprisoning me all the time. Says it heals all my diseases the God who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Not my control that throws me in the pit and mocks me with cynicism and with anger. Does that make sense? Start putting this into reality of Scripture as you move along. This morning, I don't know where this lands for you, but I did want to give you some time to just make this practical. So here's what we're going to do as we close out. We're going to play a track, and it's, it's not anything. It's just kind of some instrument stuff behind it. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of this diagram, and I want you to kind of think, okay, so honestly, I've got to run everything through the Word of God. I know that. But on a regular basis, are you doing these things? Are you reinforcing repentance, keeping yourself from the things that you know are going to lead you down a path you don't need to go? And secondly, are you reinforcing faith? Are you going to the Scripture and saying, I want a relationship with God so bad that I'm going to do the thing of reading my Bible. I'm going to make it an effort to really prioritize that. I'm going to go on offense against my sin, and I'm going to hit control with contentment. I'm going to pursue contentment to the nth degree. I'm going to, I'm going to fight fear with truth. And so I'm going to fight and I'm going to find truth everywhere I look in the Bible. Anger. I'm angry at everybody. I'm just mad at everybody. And it could be that it's in you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fight every single day, not to just control my anger, but to look for the good. And I'm going to try to find those things in everyday life. So I don't know what that lands for you, but I want to give us some time just to process together. 
So let me pray for you. And here's a couple questions I'm going to guide you through as we pray. So we haven't done this in a while, but here's what I want to do. I want to just close and give you some time to reflect, just pray with God. And I'm going to kind of guide you through that process. And I'm hoping that God kind of should show you some things here this morning that are helpful um, in moving you towards that area. So let me do that. Father, we, um, we love you this morning. Um, God, in reality, we all want to be out of sin. We all want to put an end to it. But we just have a hard time. So God, first off, I just pray that as we have a couple minutes here, that you would just show us maybe that one thing, that one thought that just keeps getting in our way. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's cynicism, inferiority, anger. I don't know. Just take a minute and just say, God, what is it? What is it that trips me up all the time? Maybe for you, God's giving you something. Maybe he hasn't. But um, the next thing I would say is, God, what, what, what's next? Is it, is it repentance? Do I just need to keep reinforcing that and keep going on the defense and defending it? Or do I need to go on the offense and, and really start building in faith and putting some truth into this? And What is it? Some questions you can ask as well. Is God had show me areas where I can strengthen my resolve to truth? Show me how I can better put on these things you've mentioned of meekness and humility and patience and kindness and compassionate hearts and bearing with one another and forgiving one another. God, this morning, no matter where this lands, no matter what you're speaking to to our church, Father, I pray that you would be clear, using your word to be clear. And may we as a community of believers continue every day being able to reinforce repentance and saying no to the things that drag us down and reinforce our faith by putting truth into places that we know we need truth. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it changes us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, I don't, I don't know where this hits you, but uh, for me, there's been a lot of questions I've had to answer. Um, and I've realized I haven't been on the offense as much as I should have, and so that's mine, is I want to be more on the offense. I want to start speaking, speaking truth into situations and not just reacting. Uh, so hopefully God's maybe saying some things to you as well. Uh, as he changes you. We're going to continue in the series in the next couple weeks. We're going to be talking about um, offenses and offenses and sin and rhythms and all that kind of stuff that, that are going to help us be practical with our life. But thank you guys so much for, for, for being in this. And uh, please know that you are being prayed for uh, during the week. And uh, just excited to see how God continues to grow us as, as a church. So thank you so much. And uh, we pray that you have a great week. See you later. Thanks.